Hello and welcome to the Curator's Salon podcast. My name is Geeta Joshi and I'm really excited today to have as my guest Dave Buonaguidi that many people know on Instagram as Real Hackney Dave. Welcome Dave. Hi there, thank you for having me. It's uh, really good to talk to you. So I thought we would um, just have a conversation about your art, but actually to give our um, listeners some context. Can you tell us, I mean, I know you went to art school and then you had a career in advertising, I think it was, but yeah. can you talk, talk us through that and then how you started um, life as a full-time artist? I'll try and do it really quickly because it's, because I, obviously I've been doing the advertising thing for 35 years, but um, yeah, I went to art college, studied graphics, um, got into advertising just because that was pretty much the first job I could find. Um, worked in a variety of agencies, big and small, set up a few myself, um, but always found that the problem I always have with advertising is that we call it, when you're in the creative realm of advertising, you call yourself a creative. And I always found that very frustrating because you're obviously always working to a very, very tight brief that a client had set you and you had to sell their product to a very defined audience. And so the, the, the level of creativity was very minimal. And so I would set up places that would be nice places for me to work where I could have fun with the kind of people I wanted to work with and work on the kind of brands that I wanted to work with. Unfortunately, what tends to happen is you set up these places and then sure enough, five years, two years, 10 years up the road, they become everything that you don't really want them to become. And so I'd then leave and I'd go and do it again. And it was on one of my um, moments when I left an agency and they put you on gardening leave and I was trying to set up another business. And I went and did the one day screen printing course up at Print Club, which is just around the corner from where I was living in Dalston. And I'd so it was like an epiphany. I just had this sort of moment where I thought, Christ, you know, I can come up with ideas and I can make them. Whereas in advertising, I've come up with ideas and I have to throw most of them away. And I just found it very liberating. And I then spent the next five years from, this is 2014 when I did the course, spent the next five years trying to work out how I could transition from being an ad wanker to being a uh, full-time artist. And I just turned full-time this January. It's, it's certainly an interesting year to, to start being a full-time artist. I mean, what a shit show. <laughs> Definitely. Oh my God, it's been crazy. Because I um, saw you a couple, was it last year or the year before at, um, I think it was Roy's Art Fair. So obviously oh, at yeah. that time where you had both things going on, mm. you were doing the fair circuit and various things. How yeah. was that for you? It was good. I mean, I love, I love doing fairs. I mean, one, it's just a good opportunity to, to get in front of an audience that don't know you from any other avenue. So I have other galleries that I work with and obviously I've got Instagram and at the time I wasn't really using Instagram as a selling tool because I didn't have my own website. Um, and, uh, but it was just, it's just really great doing fairs because obviously you get a chance to meet people who've come to see other artists and everybody does that Ikea routine where you walk around the entire building and you get to see people that you ordinarily wouldn't have seen. And it was, you know, it was a nicely curated show, great site. It was really good fun. I mean, I love those fairs. I really enjoy them. And did you um, have any planned for this year? Oh, man, I had loads planned for this year. I had um, the other art fair in, um, it was going to be in uh, March, end of March, early April. That got blown out. I was going to do the other art fair in Brooklyn that I'd sent a load of stuff over for. So I really wanted to try and see if my stuff would more of a sort of dip in my feet in the water, really, just to see if it would work in the States. Uh, and then if that had gone well, then I thought, oh, God, you know, wouldn't it be nice if Brooklyn goes well, then maybe I could do... LA or I could go to Australia or, or sort of start to then have a calendar of events that I could do fairs because it's a very I think it can be if you get it right it can actually be a very good way of selling a lot of work 
um, but also meeting new new audiences and then also meeting uh, people in galleries that you can then also start selling through. So I was really excited about that. And of course, when this COVID shit happened, it basically just meant that everything just got cancelled. I mean, I've literally just come back from the studio now, uh, still very excited about the fact that I hopefully will be doing the other art fair in October. And somebody said they, uh, that the affordable art fair for November has just been cancelled. So I'm assuming it's because they can't get insurance and they know that it's bouncing back. So uh, without a doubt, the other art fair will be cancelled as well. Oh my God, yeah, because when Freeze, because uh, the other art fair and Roy's and a lot of those London ones are obviously all based around Freeze Week, which we don't like to use the F word, but, you know, that week. And yeah. with Freeze not happening in London, that's, I think they've all been a bit tense. Oh, so Freeze, Freeze has been cancelled, is it? Yeah, I think they are trying to have some kind of digital event but yeah the the, the in-person you know thing oh, in Regent's Park is oh. not happening for October this year in London yes yeah, it's, it's a total washout the whole year god almighty so between before you actually went full-time with your artwork which as you said was at the start of this year 2020 um you had both the job and you were working as an artist and I think this is quite uh, common with a lot of our listeners you know they're working full-time or part-time how did you manage that transition well, it's, it, it's, a, it's a difficult transition because especially when you got to the stage I had in my career where I was like, you know, I'm 56 now. Today, I'm 56 today. Happy birthday, yeah. buddy. I know, you know what, I, think, I, didn't, I don't really care. It's like, it's one of those, I think all the days have blurred into one. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. But because I started late, um, you know, I got, I got a sniff of the potential to be an artist when I was 50. Um, and, and so that transition was something that I had to really work hard at because one, I have no idea what my style is. When you work in advertising, you create, but you think it as a chameleon. So if you're advertising something to women, you have to think like a woman. And if you're advertising something to young guys, you have to think like that. And so you, you become very chameleon-like. And as a result, you don't really have much of an identity. Um, when I got into the art thing, I obviously had to spend uh, an immense amount of effort and, and short, in, a, in as short time as possible trying to discover what my vibe was because, um, you know, artists have a, a, a familiar look and feel to their work and I had no idea what I was doing. And so when I got into the screen printing, the thing I loved about it was the immediacy and the speed that you could get to market. But I had no idea what stuff I was good at. And so I just went out and just, I had this, I've heard this theory that to become an expert, you have to do 10,000 hours of practice. And so I just thought, right, I'm going to have to do it. Um, I was going through a, a separation with my ex-wife uh, so I had a fair amount of time um, where I could go off and do it after work and before work. Um, and and so it sort of made it a little bit easier. But that, that time I spent and that effort I spent was really just to discover my style. And, and, and the wanky phrase for it we use in advertising is what's your universe? So when you do an ad for Ikea or for Costa, when we work with those clients, you would say, this is your typeface, this is your language, this is your personality. These are the kind of ads that you do. These are the ads that you don't do. These are the, the way that you talk to your customers. This is the way that you don't talk to your customers. So the parameters are very well established. And uh, you almost have a, a brand book that they can go through and go, this is right, this is wrong. And in a way, that's what I try to do with my art and kind of go, What's, what are the things that I do and what are the things that I don't do? Because I think a lot of artists, and we're all guilty of it, is we, we sit there and we chase a career because we've got to make money at some stage. And so we sit there and go, oh, yeah, that, that, when I did that thing, it sold quite well. Maybe I'll do some more things like that. Rather, and then you, you move away from, you chase money rather than you're chasing your, 
your brand vision. And uh, and I had a head start there because I've had 35 years of training, so it makes it a little bit easier for me. But I could kind of go, once I'd worked out what my niche was, um, it made it very clear for me. And, and, I, and there was something that I used to abide by in advertising, which was as creatives, you always become obsessed about, can I do, how can I do something original? And certainly in advertising, there is no point in trying to be original because you're aiming at a mass audience. When you're an artist, I think you have a better chance of it because you, know, you, you, you might create one piece and the chances are you've only got to sell it to one person on the, on the planet. So doing something really fresh, original, outrageous is a lot easier. But when you're in marketing, you have to do one thing that a billion people like. And so you can't be original. And so my, my combination was a little bit of something you know, a little bit of something you don't, combined with a, also wrapped up in a personality. And so I, I love words um, because I come from marketing. I love that kind of messaging because I love propaganda images. And I like bright colors because I kind of grew up in the 60s and 70s where pop art and punk was sort of blowing up. And, and, and so in a way, the things I do are an amalgamation of that. And it sort of makes it easier for me to then go, this is what I do. And then I kind of, so we, we call it a red thread. So what's the red thread that goes through every single piece of work that you produce? Now, for me, sometimes it's pink, it's words, it could be a hundred different things. But having a, a handful of ten things that you know, these are the things that I do, just makes it easier so that when your work's hanging on the wall and somebody sees it, they can go, oh, that's a Fred Bloggs or that's a Jane Doe rather than anybody else. So they know that that's your work. And I think that helps build your, your confidence and your brand parameters because then you become, as an artist, we're all unbelievably fragile and you have the ability to be confident about I know what I'm doing next because I can follow a set of uh, you know, some footsteps behind me that have led me to where I am and I know that works and so I can build on that. Brilliant advice. Just going back to something you said there then about, you know, in advertising you usually would have a brief, you know what, you know, what your uh, customer, your client is actually trying to achieve and what you can then deliver for them. How, what was the shift there? Because obviously as an artist, one, you're the brand, so yeah. it's not. So it's not so much about people pleasing or audience pleasing. You know, I mean, yes, you have. I mean, you know, you particularly have quite a good commercial eye, but I don't get the feeling that you would just make it, you know, for that audience. I mean, how how did you manage that sort of uh, shift between you know having the brief and then you know you're almost having to set your own one. Yeah, and it's um, it's it can be complicated, especially from the world I was from, where in advertising you'd have a team of people around you, so you'd have strategists and producers and you know every, everybody had a role to fill so you know the role I had was quite narrow even though even when I was a creative director where you're telling people what you think they should be doing creatively it's still it's still pretty narrow band and suddenly when you find yourself isolated on your own as an artist going shit you know what do I do who am I selling to and I, but I, you know a big part of it was go and talk to other artists go and talk to other galleries especially the galleries um you know, when I heard that they um, they take 50% straight off the bat, I was like, okay, well, let's see how you earn that. And, you know, I'd go down and say to them, right, take me through all of your best-selling artists. And they'd go, what? And they'd be quite surprised about that. And you just lay all the work out and you go, and they'd say, right, these are selling really well. These are doing, this is an interesting one. This is a new artist that we've come up, we've taken on. But it just gives you the ability to kind of look and see what everybody else is doing and what people are engaging with. And then that gives you a little sniff of what the market might be like. And... And then, then it helps you. I mean, it won't dictate your parameters or your universe, but it'll help you move it in the direction. And then I think it's a lot of it is then practice. You've just got to practice, 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 especially, especially me, because 
one, I wasn't technically very good. Two, I was completely in the dark as to what my creative style was. And I literally stumbled upon it because I was trying four color this and I was doing funny stuff over there and I was trying other things. And it was only when I started printing, I found some maps in a secondhand shop. And once I started printing on those, then it became something that I kind of went, oh, hold on, this is really interesting because I've got something that's dead in a box and I can bring it back to life. And I found that it kind of fitted with the environment, which is the world we're in, which is upcycling is better than just printing onto new paper, I think. But also with maps, there's something very um, emotional about them. And, and so once I've stumbled upon that, then it just helped me go, right, I print onto things I find. And so that's my gravestone. And then I kind of go, right, those things I find within that, then I put my own language on that. And, and then you just play with it and then run it through pink and red and all those different colours. But it was a lot of practice and it was terrifying because I wanted to get going as quickly as possible. And I think that's the mistake that we, some, we all make, which is we jump in too quick. Uh, and, and ultimately we're gamblers, you know, we gamble on everything. So we gamble on, we get our ink, we get our paper, we get our time, we get our canvases. We put all our effort in hoping that the money that we invest in that piece is going to pay us back. Minimum, it's going to pay us back and maximum, you're going to make some, some salary out of it. You know, that's our job. And it's terrifying because if you get it wrong, you lose it and you, you lose money at the betting shop. And if you get it right, you make some money. And even when you get it right, the next time you do it, it doesn't guarantee you're going to get it right again. So you have to kind of really concentrate. And I think that's why that brand universe gives you a better help at trying to work out what you're, what you're right, what's right for you and what's wrong for you. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think anybody that is um, running a business is actually, you know, it's a gamble, right? Even what I do is like putting myself out there. You know, you can hire me as a curator, as a coach or whatever. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, making sure that you've got, you know, created that universe. I think there was something interesting you said um, uh, just there about galleries and looking at their, you know, best-selling artists and the roster of artists. I think it's two ways. I think one is that, okay, you can see what is selling well and so on, but you can also figure out if that gallery is the right fit for you. you know, totally. Because it could be actually, well, you know, those are great sellers, but I don't do anything like that. So I actually I need to go and find somebody else where my you know, work sort of sits better within their um, stable of artists. Yeah. There's something, there's something else on that as well with the galleries and looking at the stable of artists that they have. Um, picking the right gallery is really important. But then also, look, when you look at all of the work that does really well, try and understand why it does really well. And often it's because there's a bit of meaning in it. There's something that connects. And in advertising, that was always the holy grail. How can you do something that cuts through all the other shit on the screen all the other crap that you're listening to that you're bombarded with when you're driving and walking down the street or on the bus, you know, how's your poster going to stand out more than anybody else's? And I think a lot of it is it has to have meaning. And that can be, it can be funny, but it has to have, if it's got that emotional meaning. So the ads always used to do really well. That everyone raved about those John Lewis ads. I was never a massive fan, but you know, the ads, because they'd make you cry. You'd watch it and you'd fucking cry. And there aren't many things that would do that. Music might do it occasionally. TV will do it. Films will do it. But ads, in a minute or in the 30 seconds, it's a real struggle. And if you can get something that means something or connects with people in a deeper way than just that's a nice picture of a parrot or that's a nice picture of a landscape, it has to have something else. And I think in this modern world where we are so much more demanding that when you want art, you want your art to say something for you. We're in the world of slogans and meaning and having something that when somebody walks into your house and they see it on the wall and they go, well, that's what you believe in the same way that, you might used to wear badges and patches back in the 70s and 80s. You know, you wore it as a symbol. And 
I think art plays that role as well. It's not only just a nice picture, it has something else that means something to you. And that's really important as uh, some artists will find that really important because you need to have some hook that connects with your audience. And if you can find that and then mine it, then it, become, it can be very valuable for your, for your brand. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is massively important. I think, you know, it's a, one of the things that artists actually struggle with is then communicating that message. You know, they've done it visually with the artwork, yeah. but then they struggle to do it in words or, you know, their social content or it's, anything like that. It's really true. And I think a lot of that is because artists can be quite awkward. You know, what we want to do, we want to spend all our time making shit and, um, and suddenly sitting there going, oh my God, now I've got to market it and advertise it and go, hi guys, welcome to my little, you know, it's just, it's something that doesn't feel, feel you know, a lot of people don't feel uh, confident about doing that. But I think with Instagram, and Instagram I think is a, is a brilliant model, is that you can do it through, it doesn't have to be you know, video, you don't have to film yourself doing it, you can have yourself writing it. But telling a story, why, why did you come up with that idea? And I talk to a lot of artists all the time at the studio and go, why have you done that? It's really nice. And they just go, oh, it's just a picture of two blokes in a swimming pool. And then you go, but, but hold on, there's got to be something more than that. You know, there was a reason that you spent the last 10 hours designing it, printing it, doing all that stuff. And then once you unpack what that story is, then you go, oh, great, well, I get it. That's really interesting. And um, people don't do that enough. They don't think, they don't have the ability to, the story is always there. Look at any piece of work, you talk to the artist, the stories are there. All you've got to do is unpack them and get them to unpack it and feel confident about doing that. But it's a confidence yeah. game. We all feel terrified about saying something that's very personal to us and that people aren't going to like it. Yeah, that fear of rejection or criticism yeah. or something. You know, my book is actually, we spend a whole section on like artist statements, which is essentially the basis of what these stories are, right? Why yeah. you threw the two men in the swimming yeah. pool or whatever it is. Yeah. Because somewhere deeper in there is the connection and oftentimes even things like with colours. Depends how deep you want to go and how much you want to pursue it, but I think there's an element of self-awareness around this. You know, yeah. for people to kind of get to know themselves and it's like colours that they've, I don't know, remember from their mum wearing when they were five years old or something. But, you know, there's always something. Yeah, and that's beautiful. That's really nice. I love that stuff because when you know, people feel the same way, that when somebody comments, they, when, they, when they walk into your house and they go, oh, God, I really like that picture, and then you tell them that backstory, then that creates another connection. You know? And it's just really simple stuff. You know, when you're putting that picture on a wall, it is a thousand words, and all you've got to do is get those thousand words out so people get it. And this is actually part of it, actually empowering the, you know, the buyer of the artwork as well. This is one of the things I sort of talk about is that, you know, the more content you share, the more that buyer who hangs it on their wall can talk about it to their dinner guest or whoever, right? So you've actually empowered them to then sort of talk about you and the work yeah. here and then be validated for the choice that they, you know, decided to spend hundreds or thousands of pounds on. So, you know, it's actually, you know, the story is, yeah, it just has significance way beyond, you know, just mm. the selling of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important that the artist understands the buyer and understands that relationship. You know, it's funny, I was talking to a guy tonight called Craig, who I print with, and he was talking about the language that he uses with his, with his customers and, and how your customers will forgive you a lot of stuff. You know, he was telling me that tonight something had been delivered late and, he just because he speaks in a certain way to his customers, they kind of forgive him because he's a nice guy. You know, there's nothing not there's nothing mechanical or robotic about the way he talks. He's a human, and he just apologised. Said, "Listen, I'm really sorry. It's running a bit late." And they just go, "Dude, don't worry." And it's really nice when you have that proper relationship with somebody who's bought something off you. You know, it's a, and it's a lovely relationship to have somebody like something that you've done so much. They want to give you their money for it. 
but it's also understanding how you deal with them and, and how you become kind of customer relations for your brand because it's essential. Yeah, you do have to yeah be head of all of those departments, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. too many of them. Um, is that Craig Keenan? Yes, Craig Keenan, yes. I want one of his pieces. Oh, man, he's doing some amazing stuff at the minute. Yeah. I mean, I love... I love I love a lot of what he's done, yeah. yeah. He did those lovely globes with the gold leaf on them. They were just amazing. The cyanotypes I'm familiar with. Yeah, yeah, that's what he does. I mean, right. love, I love the cyanotypes. He's, and he's doing some really interesting ones at the moment where we've been splatting them and trying some different techniques. Oh, yeah, I think I saw a video of him, like, yeah, throwing the thing yeah. in this weather. It must be, like, curing yeah. super fast. One thing I wanted to ask you was about your productivity. You're quite prolific with the amount of prints you churn out. As you said, you know, you can have an idea and then sort of produce it that same day and it could be good for market, but it might not be. How do you manage that without sort of flooding your website, your audience? Like, you know, what's the press do you like, um, you know, edit what you actually put out there? I, I do it really badly. I'm, please don't take any, any advice from this. Um, you know, I've had lots of galleries saying you do too much, you need to slow down and, um, and sort of be a little bit more um, restrictive and, and time your releases a little bit more. But I'm like, mate, you know, you can say that you're 30, you've got plenty of time ahead of you. I'm 56. I'm literally dying. I'm running out of time. I've probably got, it's a horrible thought, but I think I've probably got about 20 summers left before I'm running around in my undies, which is not a good play. 20 summers. It's awful when you think of it like that. So fuck it, I'm going to do as much as I can in as short a time as possible. And I think I've, I know what my universe is. Um, the thing that, I'm, that I like is because I've come from that world of advertising, which is very reactive, is if I see something that happens out there, whether it's Love Island and somebody says it is what it is, I think I can, I'll just go, right, great. I'll watch it I'll, while it's on air. I'll be sitting there designing a print that says it is what it is in my colours and I can print it in the morning, I can sell it before lunch. And it's just a good way and it doesn't, it doesn't understate, it doesn't fuck with my brand too much. I think it just, you know what, I've got a thing where I don't really care too much about how much I make because I'm loving every minute of it and I'm absolute, I almost feel guilty about doing what I'm doing, which is, you know, doing a job that I absolutely love doing with loads of people that I love doing it with and I'm still capable of making a living out of it. And um, I feel almost guilty. It's really odd. You know, I've, I've worked in a career where I, where I hated the people and I hated what I had to do for so long. To suddenly find yourself in total freedom is really awkward. It feels like stepping out of jail after 35 years where I can't quite come to terms with the fact that I'm really fortunate and I'm able to do what I really want to do. But the, the volume is an issue you know galleries tell me to slow down but I'm like no I'll just keep going because it, I think every time I do something it helps me become better and um and ultimately that's I don't know that's part of the job isn't it I mean you know when I die I just want to be able to go I, I gave it a good shot and I tried my hardest but um it's like yeah I, I love just making as much stuff as possible and the, the problem is because I'm reactive is if I do if I'm working on an edition of something and I've got some things plotted out for the next four or five weeks and then something happens like the election or the COVID virus, you know, suddenly when I, when I came out of the virus and the, and the lockdown period, I was printing nonstop, but it was all messaging that I could you know, give to people, give, give away for people to put in their windows and just have a laugh because I thought there's an opportunity there. Everybody's hurting. And if you can use art as a sort of, 
as a band-aid to help them feel a little bit better or lift their spirits, then I think that's the role of the artist. And when those opportunities happen, I think you've just got to act on them. And so, it, yeah, production-wise, I'm, I'm doing it absolutely the wrong way, but I, but I really don't care because I'm running out of time. If I was 30, I'd slow down. But I I'm think the- what's great about this approach is that, you know, this idea of like, okay, edit how much you're putting out or, you know, we, whatever the galleries are saying, right, there's too much for them and timing them. I mean, these, okay, you know, they work for them. But actually, yeah. you have to work for you, right? Because you're, you can't be reliant on the galleries anyway. So I love that approach where you're just like, no, this is how I do it, and this is me. And, you know, that's actually just part of, part of you and your you know, productivity and your, I don't know, your, your whole brand as I sort of see it. Let's just go back there a little bit because um, the Caroline Flack posters and then the uh, COVID face masks, in your, in your own words, you were very reactive to those things that came about. And then in terms of getting collaborators to help you, one, make the posters and two, and then I think you had NHS posters as well, didn't you? Yeah. How did you manage that? I, I, ju- I, I really loved that whole period. And it was kind of, it was, you know, end of February, March, and... And it started when it obviously Flack died and it killed me because I'm a massive fan of Love Island. I was, I'm not really anymore because I think that, I think she got really hung out to dry and I hated the idea that somebody is, is you know, we've all got issues and I think they could have done a lot more to help her. And I just felt, I felt really guilty that, you know, we're all part of this very odd society where we love to watch people get destroyed. And I don't, I don't know, I just felt really awkward about it. And when, and when she died, I f- it really, a bit of me really died inside. And then I just thought, you know what, there's something about, and, and also the world I've come from in advertising where everyone is really snaky and um, desperate to try and rip, rip clients off, treat staff really badly. There's a lot of sexual discrimination and a lot of you know, nasty, rapey behavior that goes on in a lot of ad agencies. And I just found the whole thing like, God, you know, I don't know what's wrong with us as humans, but we are really, really bad. And... I think the I was still reading from the flat thing, and then I saw this mad little clip of a, a little Australian kid. He's like nine years old. He's a, a midget in, in Australia and had been bullied at school and was sitting in the back of his car with his mum and crying about, just kill me, just kill me. And I watched it, and I've got kids, and I started crying, and I thought, fucking hell, this is, I just can't deal with this, you know, this poor little kid. And so I just thought I'd just do something that just said, just be nice, and it was just really simple, but... The, the, the fun thing about it was I printed 60 of them and I took them down to Jealous and um, just said, I don't want to sell them. I want people to bring, to do something nice in order to get one. And so um, at Jealous, you had to bring in a savory snack or alcohol. And I left them in there and I called up about two hours and then I posted it on Instagram and they posted it on Instagram and I called them up about half an hour later and I said, how's it going? It was on a Saturday thinking they won't sell any. And they said, they're all gone. And we've got, and they showed me a picture of this mountain of cans of booze and, you know, crackers and all sorts of sweets and biscuits. And I thought, this is really funny. And then we did another one and with uh, Nelly Duff, and you had to send in a picture of you, you kissing a dog. And if you send a picture of you kissing a dog, then you've got a print for free. And I think there's something really interesting about that, that when you fuck with the audience a little bit and you make them work or you make them join in, it becomes much more engaging. And these people, you know, some of them didn't even live in London. They would come down, you know, and drop in some cans of Coke and, or cans of pop and booze and you know, crisps, and they'd get a print. But it was just, I love the idea that people would want it enough for that. And there were only 60 of them. But we did it in about four different, four different galleries, and every single one had a different vibe. Um, 
and so again that kind of mentality of like I'm putting a bit of effort in to print these and come up with a nice idea and hopefully that you'll like it but you've got to give something back and I think there's something really interesting that it's not just it's not just money it's not just fiscal there's got to be an emotional connection and when people when you see 50 pictures of people kissing dogs you just go wow there's something really funny about that and um and then obviously with the NHS stuff as well you know NHS two years ago was the most ignored corporation in the entire planet. And then all of a sudden they're thrown into it and they're virtually thrown under the bus. You know, these poor people were having to pull us out of the mud and um, for very little in return. And, I did, and so we did something with Print Club where we printed a thousand prints and, and gave them away to anybody at the NHS. And it's, like, just, it's just a nice, nice thing to do. And um, I had time, you know, I was printing in the studio. There was nobody else there. Everybody else was locked down. Because I'd had it, I wasn't too bothered about, um, you know, there was, no, there was social distance, there was nobody in the studio, so I was just in there on my own, and I just thought, well, I'm, people are fighting over bog paper, I don't know if I can sell anything in the gallery, but I might as well try and do something. And that's where the social media thing really kind of exploded, because people were sitting at home using social media as a channel. And um, if you connected with them in the right way, and you could put out a fun message that was a little bit uplifting and not too worthy, and they'd want to engage with it. And so I had a huge amount of fun. And in a way, I think that that was, as much as I look back at this year and think it's been a total disaster, I think it's been incredible. I think it's been absolutely amazing. And it's helped me massively because I've been able to sort of sit and react to things. And it's, and it's been very beneficial. I've loved following you, with, following you with all those projects with the NHS. And then there was Zoom backgrounds, I believe, when yeah. the whole world went on Zoom. There was yeah. um, the actual face masks as well, wasn't there, that said, I think, no snogging. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, various iterations of this. So what is this for Dave this year? I don't know. I mean, I'm still, I've got loads, of, I've got, you know, hopefully there are going to be some shows coming up in October, but I think they're going. Um, and so I'm just sort of, just keep plugging away. And um, I've got about five different things that I'm working on at the minute with various galleries. Um, what I try to do with the galleries is also make sure that the output that I put in in each gallery is different from every other gallery. So with Nelly Duff, I have stuff that's a little bit more maybe street art um, and very graphic. With uh, Jealous, I'm trying to be a little bit more high-end, a bit more fine art, and also with a, with a gallery called Smithson. And so when I come up with an idea, I can kind of go, oh, this would be really good at Smithson, or this will be really good at Print Club, and then I can kind of try and keep them all sweet because ultimately they all want a little bit of pie and then you know, your job as the artist is to make sure that they feel the output they're getting is a bit more unique so that if a customer likes something in particular, they'll have to go to a certain gallery to get it. Um, and so that's quite nice is having that discipline to sort of um, be aware of how you have to keep all the gallery owners sweet as well. But then also, you know, ask them, tell them, what am I doing wrong? And almost have an audit. What's happening? What should I th be thinking more of? What can I try? What other trends are you noticing? And then sort of see how that adapts to your style as well. So have you got any shows coming up this year? I've got one. Well, I've got the other art fair supposed to be in October, but I've got a terrible fear that's going to be cancelled. That's at the Truman Brewery. I've got a show coming up in October, hopefully, uh, which is at a gallery called BSMT, which is on Kingsland Road, basement gallery. Um, and that's going to be much more... The, um, the paste-up stuff that I do with lettering where I put these um, phrases in wooden three-dimensional lettering and then paste it up over graffiti walls and stuff like that. So it's very, again, it's quite different the, from the stuff I do with 
other galleries, but it's uh, an opportunity to sort of get into a bit more street art stuff, which I've had a lot of fun doing paste-ups with anyway. Dave, yeah. it's amazing talking to you. You can follow Dave on Instagram at the Real Hackney Dave, and I will add links to his website and his Insta handle and all the places in the show notes. Dave, thank you so much for being my guest. Really good to talk thank to you. I look forward to seeing you soon with Jaffa Cake. Thank you. Yeah, see you later. Thank you. The Curator Salon hopes you enjoyed this production.